what gives our relationships purpose. And if you haven't been with us for the last two weeks, we started off with this, that our first relationship and our first priority in relationship is that relationship with God, that it all starts there, that if your relationship with God is bad, then chances are every other relationship that you have is going to be bad, right? I don't know about you, but I know that whenever my relationship with the Lord is is not fresh, it's not up to date, then everybody else is not really getting the best of me. So your relationship with God must be primary. And then last week we discussed how our marriages, spoiler alert, are not about us. Marriages are not about us. Our marriages exist for the glory of God. They don't exist for us to get whatever it is that we want out of the other person. It's not how we can be benefited. Now, obviously, that's a byproduct of it. But first and foremost, our marriages exist for His glory to be on display in that relationship. Well, today, we're going to talk about our relationships at work. Our relationships at work with those co-workers that we, some we love, some we have a hard time dealing with, work. It's so hard to find a place that you enjoy to work at. Like, right? Like, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I sit with all of you from time to time, and I know that some of you are just literally trying to survive nine to five. Like, you're, you're just trying to make it uh, trying to find that place where you can get paid to do something that you love. Uh, whether you're working to live or you're living to work, life at the office can be hard. It can be hard. So I need your help for just a second, okay? I want you to raise your hand if you've ever said this or heard somebody else say this. Or you've ever heard these statements before. You've, you've said them yourself maybe. I hate my job. I want to do something that I love. How do I know if I should change jobs or not? It's one of those philosophical questions. How do I know if I should change jobs? I wish I worked in a more Christian environment. You ever heard anybody say that? I wish I worked in a more Christian environment. Oh, it just pays the bills. I know you've heard that one. Oh, it just pays the bills. My boss is the worst. I know you've heard that one. My boss is the worst. Uh, my workplace is just not a good environment. It's not a healthy environment. It's kind of toxic right now. The people I work with are just, they're really difficult. I'm a workaholic. What is rest? I've never heard of rest. I'm a workaholic. My work is so stressful. Whether you raise your hand or not, I'm sure that you've heard in some way, shape, or form, you've heard all of those said at one time or another. But you see, here's the thing that we have to understand. We're talking about relationships, okay? Some of you, most of you, have many, if not hundreds, of relationships with the the people that you work with. You have hundreds of people uh, that you work with in your place of work. And I'm telling you now that we have to have this fundamental mind shift, this mind shift where we begin to see the workplace as a missional field. We have to see the workplace, the office, the non-to-five, the grind, We have to see it as an opportunity for the gospel to be on display. Now, whenever we say gospel, what we mean is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to this life, that he died 
that he was buried, that he resurrected, and by faith in Christ, we now have access to God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And what I'm telling you this morning is that we have to have a mind shift thinking now that this message of the good news can be on display where we work. It has to be. Listen to these numbers. You're going to be blown away by this. You're going to be blown away, I promise you. I was blown away this week. If you work 40 hours a week until retirement, so if you put in the 9 to 5, 40 hours a week until retirement, that at some point, whenever it's all said and done, you will have spent one-third of your life at work. Let that sink in. One-third of your life at work. Now the rest of it, another third of it is like sleeping. And then another third of it is just you doing life. That extra eight hours that you have in the day. If we fail to see the workplace as a missional opportunity, if we fail to see our coworkers as an opportunity for gospel representation, then it very well could be true that one-third of our lives are spent not living for the glory of God. One-third of a lifetime, if you don't see it as a missional opportunity, that means that one-third of your life is not spent living on mission with the gospel, His glory on display in your life. One-third of your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste the time. Remember that another third of that is being uh, used for sleep. Some of you get an actual eight hours, so a third of that would be sleep. Like, that's two-thirds, really. So we have just eight hours in our day to share the gospel. Big, 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 big. In every circumstance of life, listen, in every circumstance of life that you have, it's meant for you to live now on display for His glory. And especially the workplace. And the bottom line, if you don't take anything else this morning, if you don't take anything away from this place, here's what I want you to understand, is that we don't work for money, we work for the glory of God. We don't work for the paycheck, we don't work for the accolades, we don't work for success, we don't work to make it, we don't work just to pay the bills. Ultimately, we work for His glory to be on display in our lives in those relationships. That's why it exists. That's why he's put us in a place of work. Now, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about work, I'm like, okay, this is a, a byproduct of sin. This is what happened in the garden. No, 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 no. God created Adam to work before sin ever entered the picture. So work is a good thing. Now, because of sin, what we've done with this, because of this fracture in our relationship with God, we've taken work and now it ceases like on us. It ends on us. How can I benefit from this? How can I uh, find success? How can I achieve a status? Like, and it ends there. And so his glory is not on display. But originally in the garden, whenever Adam was with God and he worked, obviously it was for God's glory and his glory was on display. So work is a good thing. But let me just tell you this, that God did not put you where, you, where he put you he didn't give you the job that he gave you just so that you could earn a paycheck. He didn't put you there just so that you could chase that dollar. He didn't put you there so that you could hate your boss or any of those things. He put you there first and primarily because he says, I'm sending my follower. 
I'm sending my light into this dark place. I'm sending you as a representation of my goodness. He puts you where he puts you so that his glory might be on display nine to five. I put you where he puts you so that your so that his glory might be on display in your life. And thankfully, there's a, a guy in the Bible that shows us exactly what we're talking about. That while he was on work, he was also on mission. So if you have your Bibles, do me a favor and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, we have one right over there on our connect table. You can pick one up as you're walking out or you can pick one up right now. We don't charge you anything for that. That's a gift to you. Uh, if we don't do anything else, the one thing that we can do, right, is just give people access to God's word. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you that right over there on our connect table. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that's where we'll be spending the bulk of our time today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So the church here at Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonica, excuse me, was started by this guy named Paul. And you can pick up on this in the book of Acts chapter 17, but this is a little bit more of a dissection of, of what happened and his relationship to the church at Thessalonica. But originally in Acts chapter 17, he goes in preaching the gospel and it says that he's in the synagogues, like he's sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with a lot of Jewish followers. They're radicals, like they're fanatics. And then he goes to the temple, he preaches the good news of Jesus for, a, for like several weeks that he's there preaching the, preaching the good news. And eventually, they get so tired of hearing this message, so tired of being told that there's a different way, being told that there's another gospel message other than Judaism, which they were following, that he eventually had to leave town in the middle, in the middle of a night, basically, uh, to escape persecution, to escape being put to death. And so this is a little bit of time has passed since then, and he's writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica, and this is what he says about his experiences while he was with them. So he's going to recap it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully be been treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, what, we mean, what he means by that, being much, of much conflict, means that he's about to like lose his life. They don't like this gospel message, so he has to slip away in the middle of the night. Verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretexts for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Get this, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So he's talking about his experience in Thessalonica, the city, and he says to you that as I came, you know my experience, that I, I had boldness to, to declare the gospel to you. I wasn't afraid of death, but here's what he says, he says, 
while I was there, I shared my life for with uh, my life with you. I shared life with you. I didn't just proclaim the gospel to you. I shared life with you. Verse nine. Look at this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Here's what could have happened. So as Paul is this missionary and he's visiting a lot of the, these churches. A lot of times the churches would just take up this love offering and they would pay for him to be there. But really what Paul would go and do a lot of times is instead of taking money from the churches, instead of taking up this love offering to pay for him, he worked as what we would call a tent maker. So that was his trade. He was like this, this merchant where he would, wor- he would work making, like setting up and distributing tents out for like big parties. And so he, w- he was more of like this traveling, uh, traveling worker and So what he says here is that as I was with you, he says, I didn't take up a love offering from you, but I worked. And you saw me out there working. You saw me putting my hands to use. You saw me in the workplace. You saw me in the workplace. And what Paul would do as a tent maker is he would take these these nice and extravagant tents. and, And these are not just, these are not, like for the bottom of society, like they would be used for like big parties, celebrations and things like that. And rumor has it that as he's setting up these tents, he would be connected with some really influential people. He would be connected with a lot of influential people, like the, no, the, the who to knows of society. But he would also travel all over the place with this tent making job. A lot of people believe that this is how the gospel spread as many places as it did, because Paul used this work opportunity as an opportunity to share the gospel wherever he went. He used work to share the gospel. And what Paul knew, shocker, spoiler alert right here, what Paul knew was that being around unbelievers was a good thing. It's a good thing. If as a Christian you ever come to me and you try to tell me about how bad your workplace is and how toxic it is, and you're just around non-believers, I'm going to pat you on the back, I'm going to tell you I love you, but I'm also going to tell you that God put you there for His glory to be on display there. Paul knew that being around unbelievers was a good thing that God had designed for him to do. And so what he does is, is as, he's on these, as he's on these journeys, as he's on these missionary trips, the gospel is primary. The gospel is primary. If you were to ask Paul, what do you do for a living? Say, Paul, what's your job? What do you do for a living? You know how he would have answered it? He would have said, I'm a missionary on display for God's glory. Whenever I need money, though, I'm a tent maker. And I travel around with these other guys. We make, sell, and we distribute tents. But he would have first said, I'm a missionary. Whenever you look at your job, Whenever you look at that place where you're at 9 to 5, is your perspective of it missionary or worker? Is your perspective of it, I go here as a missionary, I go on behalf of God, I go on behalf of the gospel, or is your perspective of it, I'm just going in to clock in for a few hours and to make a little bit of change so that I can just keep on going? Paul was a missionary first and a worker second. He understood 
that this was a great opportunity to get the gospel out. He understood that. Now, listen. Some of you are living for your career. You're living to make it in whatever career or field that you're in. I hate to say it like this, but it's too small of a thing to live for. If you get to the top of your game, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, I promise you, it will not bring fulfillment. It will not bring satisfaction. It's too small. It can't satisfy you. Whenever you're done with that, and you pass on, and you get out of that job, you retire, or whatever it is, guess what? They'll pat you on the back, they'll send you on your merry way, but the will keeps going. They're not going to sit around every day and talk about you. But you know what won't change? Is the relationships that you have there. You know what won't change is your impact and the conversations and the lives that you change there. You're just a spoke on the wheel. Whenever you think about most successful in their field, who comes to mind? Whenever you think about top of the game, like they're there, who comes to mind? For me, some of you might hate me for this, but I, my mind immediately goes to Tom Brady. How many of you guys know what, who Tom Brady is? Tom Brady, sports fans, I love you. Okay, good. Tom Brady is probably will go down as probably the best quarterback to ever live and to ever play the game. We can debate that after lunch. I'll see you at Arby's, whatever you want to. We can debate that. Like, I, I don't care. Like, I, I'll fight for that tooth and nail. He's not my favorite or anything like that. But he will go down as probably the greatest quarterback of all time. In an interview with 60 Minutes, I think it was just after his third Super Bowl. Uh, he since then had two more. But after his third Super Bowl, he sat down with 60 Minutes. And, he, and he's talking to the interviewer. And, and, and the interviewer asks him this question. He says, are you satisfied? Did you ever think that you would get to the top of your game like this and reach the pinnacle? And Tom looks at him, and he's got this, like, smile that he has to force, and he says these words. He says, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. He said, I'm making more money than I ever thought I could make with the game of football. I've won three Super Bowls. I have a nice wife. I have the best house. But there's got to be more. And he says, I I wish I knew what it was. He said, I wish I knew what it was. And the interviewer says, you don't have any idea what it is? What, what do you think it could be? And Tom Brady says, I, I don't know. I don't know. And so that unsatisfied life, that unsatisfied state, it just drives him to get better and better and better at his work. But if you were to ask him today, are you satisfied? Have you found success? He'd say, no, I haven't. And you know why? It's because he hasn't understood yet that his career is too small of a thing to live for. That his career will not bring satisfaction. That his career will never be satisfying. As missionaries of Christ, however, when we're in the workplace, we'll find that there is satisfaction there. The good news of Jesus must be the primary thing that we're working for. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, whether you're the barista, whether you are the construction worker, whether you are the librarian, whatever it is, whatever you do, do it to the best of your abilities with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Jesus Christ is your boss. At the end of the day, you don't work for whomever it is at your office. You work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever it is that you're trying to get, whatever raise, whatever appreciation, whatever pat on the back it is that you're trying to get, Paul says in Colossians that one day you will have an inheritance that far surpasses anything that you're chasing for today. So in Christ, you have a better boss than you'll ever have. And in his inheritance that we receive as children of Christ, you have something better in heaven waiting for you than your boss could ever give you. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But we have to have this mindset shift. We have to have this mindset shift. So for Paul, he's working with them. He says that, We work night and day. He is a missionary first. And he says that we didn't want to be a burden to any of you. Why? While we were proclaiming the gospel of God to you. Let's keep going. Verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Mm. While he's working... He's making sure that he's keeping his conduct in check. And he's able to look back on his time in Thessalonica and he says, you know what? My conduct and my behavior was good, so good among you that he even goes as far to say that he was blameless. How's your behavior at work? What's your reputation around the office? If people are are talking about you, Let's just be honest. We all know what happens. If they're talking about you, what are they saying? Is your conduct so good among them that you would be able to be considered blameless? Let's talk about what we mean there, conducting ourselves in a good way. How can you live for the glory of God on display at the work? First of all, you can do good work. Do excellent work. Never be satisfied with your product. Never be satisfied with the work that you're doing. Because when you do a good job on something, it points back to a God in heaven who designed you well, who designed our system well, and who did all of his work with excellence. He looked back at all of his creation. He said, it is good. Whenever you go home at night, are you satisfied with your work? Are you able to say, I did the very best that I could do today. As good workers, it's possible to show an unbelieving world around us the goodness and the magnitude of a God around that of a God that loved us. So whatever it is, get better at it. Don't be satisfied with wherever you are. Get better, get faster, get more creative. Do good work. Because by doing good work, it points back to God. Secondly, have integrity. Have integrity. Paul had integrity with this church at Thessalonica that whenever he worked around them, he was a man of integrity. Like, can you say that about where you work, that, that you're pretty well known for having integrity? Because the integrity that you show, the level of, uh, the level of honor and the level of work ethic, the, the level of integrity that you put forth, will point back to a God in heaven who does everything with us with open honesty and with integrity. 
Listen, your coworkers, they see you at your best, and they see you at your worst. Some of you, like, you spend more time around the people that you work with than anybody else. And so there are days when they see you at your best, and there are days when they see you at your worst. Just know that however you represent Christ in that situation could be what they think about Jesus. And so if you give this poor representation of who Christ is, then that's what's going to be in their mind about who Jesus is. Well, he claims to be a follower of Jesus. She claims to be a follower of Jesus, but she's talking about the boss just like I do. Why do I need to follow Jesus? She clocks in just a little bit early, just like everybody else. Like she, she fudges the numbers just a little bit, just like everybody else. We all gossip about the same co-workers just like everybody else. Let me just give you a piece of advice. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't talk bad about your boss. I don't care how bad they are. Don't get together with another believer or another unbeliever and talk bad about your boss. If it's something that needs to be said, if there's a conversation that needs to be had, then be a person of integrity and go and confront that person face to face. Have the fortitude, have the courage to go and have said conversation rather than running around the office talking about it behind everybody's back. It's not healthy and it gives a poor representation of Jesus. You ain't going to have that gospel conversation with anybody if you have a poor testimony. And let me just say this, that if you are that person, that if you are the one that gossips, if you are the one that talks bad about the boss, then you may need to go around to every person in that office and ask for forgiveness. It would do wonders for your testimony. If you're known for being that gossip, if you're known for being that liar, if you're known for being the person that shows the least amount of integrity, then you just might need to go around to every single person in that office and say, hey, I've been giving a bad representation of Jesus. That's not the God I serve. Let me tell you about him. And I just need to ask for your forgiveness. Lastly, have compassion. Have compassion. Chances are, if everyone knows you are a Christian at work, then you're probably going to be labeled at some point as the the goody two-shoe. You're probably going to be labeled for something. We can't help it. But if you have compassion on the people that you work with, and if you're likable enough, they just might let you in. They just might hear you out if you have compassion on everybody. Listen, I know it's hard, and I know it's hard to always have compassion. I know it's always hard. It's hard to do that at times. But who better to understand from about the compassion of God and the compassion of Jesus than a Christian in the workplace? I think about about this, and, and there's one person that always come to mind about showing compassion, having love in the workplace, and that always goes to my wife. And if you know my wife, if you spent any amount of time with her at all, you know that she's just this bubbly person. She has this great personality, but goodness gracious, if the Lord didn't give me the most compassionate wife ever, just a few weeks ago, she was sitting at work, and as she's kind of sitting behind this cubicle, it's coming time for uh, the day to be wrapped up. She works at the library, by the way. And one of these, uh, they call them customers, even though there's no transaction. I kind of find that funny. She calls them, I had a customer today. Uh, but there's this customer that walks up to her and she, as she's sitting in her desk, and she goes, hey, 
I don't mean to, to intrude. I don't mean to be out of line here. But I just need to know, are you a Christian? I've got to ask, are you, are you a Christian? And my wife goes, well, yes, I am. Are you? She goes, well, no, I'm, I'm not really. But you just always seem to be the happiest person here. Nobody else really talks to me whenever I come here. Nobody else really smiles at me or does anything for me while I'm here. But you just always seem to have this compassion. And so I just had to come and ask if you were a Christian or not. And so she's able to have this conversation. And as a matter of fact, the lady even came and visited our church. Now, she wouldn't have said it. She wouldn't have voiced it this way. But really what she's saying is, I I sense God here. I sense God at work here. I I feel peace when you're around. I feel compassion when you're around. I I feel the love of God whenever you're around. All she knew to say was, I just got to ask, are you a Christian? Whenever you're in your workplace, there are people all around that just watch you and they're waiting to just feel something, to feel compassion. Are you giving it off? Because it just might lead to a gospel conversation. It just might lead to somebody being in the doors of this church able to hear the gospel for the very first time. Just doing something as simple as being nice, having a smile on your face, being warm, inviting people in, it can work wonders. So have compassion. Now, here's something, just a little bit of a extra, this is extra. I I know that whenever we talk about gospel in the workplace, some of you immediately like cringe and you're like, it's in the handbook. I can't do it. And that's immediately where your mind went. I understand that. I get it. It's hard to share the gospel in every situation and in every job out there. It's hard. But there ain't nothing in the company handbook that says you can't show compassion. There's nothing in the company handbook that says you can't be loving to a coworker. It's not there. And you never know that whenever you present just a, a, a nice personality, giving back the glory of God, that somebody just might be led to the gospel. And then lastly, the gospel is verbalized. The gospel is verbalized. Let's look at 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So as Paul is going and he's sharing the gospel with the church at Thessalonica, he says that he shared his life with them, that he lived with them, that they were able to see his behavior, they were able to see his conduct, but then he moved on a little bit further. He says, we exhorted you and We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You see, sometimes the gospel needs to be said. you got to have the courage to say the gospel. Some of you have restrictions, yes. Some of you will never be able to voice the gospel, but some of you don't. Some of you don't. And you haven't shared the gospel with anybody just because you haven't made it a priority. And so it's, he, he says that as I was with you, I charged you. I, I told you. I explained the gospel. We said it just last week. We said that it's wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, where, where St. Francis of Assisi said that, uh, he's, he was a saint, by the way, where he said 
He says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. First of all, St. Francis of Assisi never said that. And second of all, you can't preach the gospel without using words. You have to say it. Like, who's going to know the complete gospel narrative without you speaking those words? Who's going to know about the faith that is necessary? Who's going to know about the charge to live as Christ lived? unless you speak it and unless you say it. Now, in the next couple of weeks here at Creekside Church, we want to be able to help you. We want to give you those words to say. We want to help you have gospel conversations and give you specific things to say. Whenever you sit across the table from somebody at the workplace, we want to, we want to equip you, give you the tools that you need so that you can have those gospel conversations. But You can't really have a gospel conversation if you aren't connected. You can't really have a gospel conversation with somebody at the workplace if you clock in, go to your area, and you never talk to anybody else. So your first step would be getting connected, getting to know people. Take somebody out for lunch. Take somebody out for coffee. Have that have that dinner with somebody over at your house, that, that worker that you've worked with for 30 years and you don't, know his, you don't know his last name. We as Christians have to be the most connected people in the workplace. We've got to be. You can't, we can't afford you to walk in, clock in, and never have any conversations with anybody. So whatever your next step is there, we ask you to just get committed. We ask you to take somebody out for coffee. We ask you to, to take that next step. So Paul, mission is primary. So for Paul, uh, the gospel is on display. And for Paul, he, he's, he's verbalizing what that gospel message is. Now here's the question. What do you do if you don't work? What do you do if you, you don't have that nine to five? What do you do? Should you just chill and like hang out? My charge to you is the same. As a stay-at-home mom or as a volunteer, whatever it is, as a retiree, you have been called to live a gospel-centered life. Be creative. Get out there. Go on a mission trip. Take the opportunity. Go to your neighbor's house, whatever it is. You've been called to live on display, uh, displaying the gospel of Jesus where it is, wherever it is that he's called you. And so if you don't have a workplace, obviously you're going to have to be a little bit creative. Obviously you're going to have to think extra hard about getting in those relationships, finding those places of opportunity. But nonetheless, still find them. Find them. Don't waste your time. Don't waste the life that you've been given. No matter where it is, stay-at-home mom, retiree, all of us have been called to live as missionaries for the gospel of God. Some of us have those environments where we can just walk right in and do it. Others of us, we're going to have to be creative. Set up a play date for you and some other moms to go to. Go frequent the same coffee shop so that you can build relationships there. Go to the same Chick-fil-A. You'll probably see me there. Be in places. Be a missionary in the same places and do it consistently. And imagine what it would look like Like, just level with me for just a second. Just imagine what it would look like if you saw your place of work 
as a missional opportunity. I want you to think about the faces that are there. Does anybody come into mind that is just ready for the gospel? We talk a lot here about having relationships with people that are far from God but close to us. How many of you here this morning, you can raise your hand, how many of you have a relationship with somebody at work that you would consider one of your three? Somebody at work, you call them one of your three. God has put you there, like orchestrated in all the universe, designed it, so that you could be in the right place at the right time for said person to hear, see, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. Are you going to live up to the call? Are you going to live up to the call? Or will you continue to just see your job as a way to make money? You've got to have that mindset shift. Because if you're sharing the gospel at work, and I'm sharing the gospel at work, and he's sharing the gospel at work, and she's sharing the gospel at work, then collectively we'll start to see a movement in this city like it's never seen before. The workplace is the key to it all. This morning the band's going to come and play, and I, I invite you to to worship with us, I invite you to respond however you feel like God's called you to respond. But I just want to challenge you, if somebody did come to mind, if you did think about that person at the, at the office that desperately needs the gospel, then I just want to challenge you to pray for them. I want to challenge you to pray for them. I, I want to challenge you, uh, pray that God would give you the openness in that relationship, that he would give you an open opportunity to share the gospel. Some of them you might have to create. You might have to take somebody out for lunch. Secondly, I want to pray that God would open your mouth, that he would open your mouth to speak, that he would open your mouth to verbalize the good news of Jesus. And then lastly, that he would open their hearts to be receptive. This morning as the band plays, the, the call is pretty simple. I, I just want you to play, pray over your office. Just pray over it. Pray that, your, that His glory might be on display in your life. Nine to five, some of you have terrible work lives. It's a terrible situation. It's toxic. I understand. I get it. But there's got to be a mindset shift. We've got to see it as a missional opportunity. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we just come to you and we ask you, Lord, for your glory to be on display in our lives. Some of us, Lord, have hundreds, maybe thousands of relationships where we work. What a missed opportunity it would be if we just saw it as a way to make money. What a wasted opportunity. Lord, one-third of our entire lives could be wasted. I don't want that to be said about me. I don't want that to be said about me, Lord. So I pray for those far from God relationships that we have. And I pray that you would give us an open relationship, open our mouths, and then open hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.